Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractic Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Chronic musculoskeletal pain is often associated with reduced balance and increased falls risk. While these issues can occur anytime in life, certainly the prevalence increases significantly with age. Now we all know the population is aging. Global estimates suggest that the percentage of people over uh, the age of 65 that was 18% in 2013 is likely to climb as high as 28% by 2060. Now, as chiropractors, we see balance issues commonly in our practice. So it's good to know what effect manual therapies are likely to have on people with these issues. Our guest today recently published a study titled Effects of Manual Therapies on Stability in People with Musculoskeletal Pain, a Systematic Review. So I'm sure she'll be able to help us brush up our understanding in this area. Now, Dr. Julie Kendall is a chiropractor who recently earned her PhD, and she's done a lot of examination in the areas of dizziness, balance, and falls risk in older people, especially those with spinal pain. Uh, she is a lecturer at the Chiropractic Discipline School of Health and Biomedical Sciences at RMIT University. Her teaching focuses on the research and applying evidence-based practice. Her research interests, as we said, includes falls risk in older adults, but also chronic pain and clinical biomechanics of balance. Hi, Julie, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony, and thank you so much for having me. It is. Fan. It's always been my dream to be um, on a podcast, so I'm oh, very wow. excited to be oh. here. Well, we have been talking about this for, for some time. As you know, I've been keen to, to get you on to talk about uh, balance because it is such a, an, uh, I guess, a, an interesting issue for, for chiropractors. We see a lot of it and, and often it's a comorbidity. So um, the person seeing the chiropractor might be might not necessarily have gone to the chiropractor in the first place for balance, but often for other problems. And yet when we do our examination, often balance is a really big factor. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're bang on there. It's, it's really associated with quite a few comorbidities and particularly associated with comorbidities that are also associated with aging. So we do get this complex web of factors um, that are quite, quite common, um, particularly spinal pain, which obviously is something that we see a lot in private practice. So you've, as I said in the outset, um, recently earned your PhD. Perhaps give our listeners just a quick background on, on your journey through chiropractic and how you became interested in this area of research. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, oh, I guess it is recent. It was a year ago, but I got my PhD, I think, three weeks before my daughter was born. So it was a bit of a whirlwind time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was. And a massive shout out to ACA members because they supported my PhD. So I was the first person to get an ACA PhD stipend, um, which I'm really, really proud of. So thank you so much to all the members for supporting research um, and supporting me to do that. It means a lot to me. Um, and I think it's just really important for, uh, for our profession to kind of get behind research. So my PhD was around falls risk in older people um, and neck pain. Um, and looking at you know dizziness and balance and um, looking at the relationship between those and I uh, my journey to doing a PhD um, I always 
really enjoyed research and learning uh, when I was an undergraduate chiropractic student and I, my little ears buzzed up every time we talk about research and we just kept hearing all the time, we need more research, we need more research, we need more research. And so I got to the end of my uh, undergraduate, my master's in, in chiropractic and I went, oh, well, you keep saying you need more, more researchers, so I'll, I'll put up my hand. And a few years went by, I was in private practice for a little while and then an opportunity came up um, to look at this topic and I jumped on board and um, never really looked back. That's so fantastic. I mean, the ACA certainly many years ago, a decade ago, really committed itself to, to helping people um, develop their PhDs and, and to commit to research. And not many people in Australia are aware of this, but the ACA are actually by far the biggest uh, funder of research over the last 10 years uh, with over uh, $2 million, well over $2 million and just over 200000 even in the last uh, 12 months. So we're so happy to, to have people like you, you know, really getting out there and uh, developing the, um, uh, the research for chiropractic, which is so, uh, so critically important for our future. Um, but oh, on, to you, on to your particular study. So um, now you looked at um, balance in people specifically with musculoskeletal pain. What, why were you interested in that rather than including asymptomatic participants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was interested in this topic. So this is my first publication post PhD, and it is sort of in, in that that field. So what I was finding in my PhD is that, yes, all, all of us as we age will have a deterioration in balance, um, but a modifiable factor is um, people with pain. So we know that we can help people with pain, um, but it was, you know, coming up in, in my PhD that certainly pain is associated with impairments, um, a, a greater impairment imbalance than people who don't have pain. So I was really interested to see if reducing pain is going to then help um, with balance. So there, there is some research looking at both asymptomatic people and um, pain people. So Kelly Holt published a systematic review in 2012 um, that just looked at manual therapy and balance and falls and they did include asymptomatic people. Um, and uh, Alexander Rue has published several papers examining the link between low back pain and balance. So I was interested in sort of somewhere in between those two topics um, to have a look because particularly um, Alex's paper, um, you know, he did find that as balance, balance decreased um, with increased pain. So I was really curious to, to sort of look at that um, aspect of it. So I wanted to know, you know, if we improve balance, um, is that associated with a reduction in, in pain? And, um, and I was curious about that in terms of physical function and falls risk. So with a systematic review, basically what you're doing is taking the research that's out there and sort of bringing it all in and saying, well, how does it all make sense? And what's the whole body of research available mean? And uh, the quality of the studies you bring in are, are obviously important. Some aren't gonna be high enough and they won't be included and some will. Can you explain the inclusion criteria and how you make the decision of what studies you include in the systematic review? Yeah, absolutely. So in our systematic review, we only wanted to look at controlled trials. Um, so we didn't want to include case, single case studies um, or, or, or cohort, cohort studies, groups of, of, of people. We wanted controlled trials. And that's important because we want to know the 
underlying therapeutic impact of manual therapy um, compared to something else. And we want to um, control for any additional confounding factors that might be associated with it. So it's really important to have a control group if you want to look at the effectiveness of a, of a therapy. And that's what we wanted to look for for this systematic review. Um, once again, we were interested in musculoskeletal pain um, and we wanted to know, we, we kept it quite broad um, and we looked at any manual therapy. So this would include um, in research, we talk about manipulation, but essentially an adjustment, um, mobilization, or massage. Um, we were happy with any um, comparison in terms of the control um, and the outcome measures we were really interested in were falls, um, physical performance on clinical balance tests, um, as well as objective and subjective measures of balance. So it was it was fairly broad, um, but from a clinic as a clinician, it, it makes sense to me because these are the things that we test in private practice. So I wanted it to be very relevant um, to a practitioner um, who's, who's, you know, on the ground. And that's so important, especially when it comes to translating that information into practice, it definitely does need to be relevant. Um, now, one of the things that's important, especially for clinicians who are uh, just to understand some of the terminology, you did a meta-analysis uh, here. What exactly is a meta-analysis? Yeah, so um, a meta-analysis is where we pull all of the studies together. So essentially, it's sort of if you, we have some smaller studies out there of maybe 30 participants or even 100 participants. And what we can do is if we add those studies together, so say we've got one of 30, one of 100, one of 40, and we add those together, well, now we can sort of essentially have a trial of 170 participants. So mm. just... It, it's bigger, it pulls all the things together. Um, and so essentially we add all the treatment groups together and all the control groups together um, to compare one to the other. Um, so for example, um, in, in our paper, we did a, a meta-analysis looking at gait speed. Um, and so for those of you playing at home, that's figure two on page six of the manuscript, which you can, you can download, it's open access by the way. So anybody can find it. Um, it is, it's published in a chiropractic journal, um, chiropractic and manual therapies, um, and it is open access. So go, go and download it. Um, you can, you can have a look at it, uh, whoever you are out, out in the big wide world. So, and, and um, Julie, we'll yeah. also make sure that we attach your, your, um, the link to that with, uh, with yeah. this uh, podcast that goes out. So yes, members definitely, um, well, listeners definitely encourage you to have a look at the study. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to want to pause and bring that paper up, um, go to page six, um, so figure two. Um, and so we can pull together, we can see in this one, we're pulling together seven different studies. So this gives us 330 people in the manual therapy group and 329 people in the comparison group. So it's a much more powerful and informative analysis rather than a sim single um, randomized control trial. And following on from that, and we're going to go to one other little definition perhaps for you to qualify uh, here. So um, again, you, you, some of the reasons for the studies not coming into your sort of systematic review was because they were too heterogeneous. And this sort of uh, touches on what you were just saying. Maybe you could explain what heterogeneous is and why this is important. Yeah, so we couldn't do a meta-analysis on all of our studies. So the balance um, information, we weren't able to pull those together. Um, and heterogeneous means diverse components. Um, so our inclusion criteria was, was quite broad, and that's because we wanted it to be clinically relevant. And of course, broad, we know lots of different things in clinical practice. We measure things in lots of different ways. Um, so we could only do meta-analysis on the studies that we felt could be pulled together, that they were similar enough. Um, 
So for those examining balance, they used really different equipment and different outputs. So um, they had them standing on various different types of force plates and balance collecting software. And then the outputs of those were quite different. So some of them measured area of sway, some of them measured velocity of sway or amplitude of sway. Um, and we can't really compare those. They're quite different and the mechanisms behind the, the difference in those measures are, are too different for us to compare them or group those outcomes together into one big analysis. Um, but, but we still wanted to include these studies in the paper. So we do do a little bit of, an, we call it a descriptive synthesis. Um, uh, rather than doing a meta-analysis, we just talk about them um, and, and, and kind of talk about how they're similar or what they're finding. So the, uh, I guess the opposite of the heterogeneous, I'm assuming is the homogeneous and they're Correct, the ones yes. where you can actually sort of do that meta-analysis because the, the studies are similar and they're looking at sort of similar outcomes doing similar types of tests to measure those outcomes. Correct, correct. But it's a little bit, um, yeah, it, it can get a little bit complicated. It's, it's sort of comparing apples and oranges might be a bit too different, but then they're fruit. Yes. Um, so it depends when you're interpreting the meta-analysis, it's important that you're keeping in mind what you've put together and, and how similar it is. So. Yes, uh, I think that those two words, heterogeneous and homogeneous, very much apply and are relevant to the chiropractic profession. I'd say we're uh, leaned very much towards the heterogeneous uh, side of things. So that's uh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, absolutely. So staying on the, you know, uh, classifying a few terms here, we, we all know about um, the study and research bias, but um, you use specifically uh, a, a tool, the 12-item Cochrane risk of bias for, uh, to assess these studies. Can you just briefly explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really standard way of measuring risk of bias. So um, it's sort of, one of, I'd say it's sort of a gold standard of me measuring risk of bias is using the Cochrane risk of bias assessment. Um, so it's specifically designed to look at bias in randomized controlled trials. Um, and we can't necessarily eliminate all bias, um, but we can control for it. So we, we want to control and minimize confounding variables and bias as, as much as we can. So this tool evaluates where there may be the potential or a risk of bias. Um, and a systematic review is the collective results of a number of those included studies. So when analyzing these studies, it's important to assess if the results may be influenced by bias. Essentially, how strongly should we believe these results? Are they likely to be different if they were reproduced? And our systematic review found that overall, the studies had a fairly low risk of bias uh, which is good. Um, the major exception, of course, which is always going to happen when we look at manual therapy, is that the providers can't cannot be blinded. Yes. Um, so, for those of you playing at home, if you're looking at the risk of bias table, that's read in almost all the studies because yeah. it, it's it's impossible to blind somebody in manual therapy. So, it doesn't mean that those studies are bad. It just means we need to keep in mind that there there is bias there when we interpret the results. Yes. Now, you mentioned uh, this a little bit uh, earlier on, uh, but just can you go over again what the, the key outcome measures were when people were, were looking at balance? Yep. Um, so we looked at a range of physical function and balance measures. The clinical balance tests included uh, gait speed, so just usual um, speed, and this is usually measured with a stopwatch and a couple of pieces of tape on the floor, um, and you just ask someone to walk at their usual pace across four metres or six metres. Um, the timed up and go, uh, which is a great test and something you can easily implement into your practice. All you need is, a, once again, a chair, um, a little mark on the ground or a, a, a like a witch's hat cone um, and, and a stopwatch. So you just ask someone to sit down on a chair and then ask them to 
get up and then walk at their usual pace. Um, start the stopwatch as soon as their bum lifts up off that chair um, and they walk two metres, turn around and come back and sit back down on the chair and then stop the stopwatch once they've sat back down again. Um, and it's a really standard measure of, of physical ability. And it's, it's a really easy thing. All you need is a hallway and a chair and a stopwatch um, and, and you can do it in practice. And I encourage people to sit to stand test is uh, how quickly it takes someone to sit up and down five times um, from a chair. Um, and the step test is uh, a little uh, eight to 10 centimeter high step. And then um, in 30 seconds, see how many times someone can tap their foot on the top of that. Objective balance was measured using force plates and stability systems. These tend to be quite expensive. Um, they have various different outputs. They're not, I, I know there are chiropractors out in private practice who are using these, um, but, what I've sort of found in my PhD is that these clinical balance tests, um, it have, in many ways, are actually uh, a simpler, and, and they're definitely much simpler, but they're even a um, more relevant measure of somebody's um, stability. So I do encourage practitioners in private practice to measure um, physical function, um, particularly in older adults, um, and these uh, fairly fairly simple tools to use. They're quite quick, you know, and they take less than two minutes to measure. You don't necessarily need a fancy, expensive force plate. And also those simple tests are so relevant to their activities of daily living, getting out of a chair, walking somewhere. The one that you mentioned, the timed up and go, um, the instruction uh, I gather is to walk at your usual pace. So you're not wanting them necessarily Correct. to uh, go as fast as you can, but no. there's an assumption that particularly in a person who has had a history of balance problems that if their balance is improving, they will naturally feel their natural speed improves. Yeah, correct. Correct. Um, and it, yes. is that similar for the, you, the, the, the sit to stand test? Is that, is that also the instruction or you want them to go as fast as they can? That for, one, you want them to go as fast as, as they can. Um, that was a little bit trickier to do. I, I, I quite like the timed up and go personally. It's nice yes. and easy. Yeah, very yeah. good. Okay, yeah. so wait for the drum roll. Da, 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 da. The result. <laughs> yeah, so we actually found that manual therapy significantly improves skate speed um, and timed up and go compared to other therapies in the short term. So that was, um, we pulled together studies with outcome measures of less than three months. Um, when we pulled together the studies that looked at longer term, so greater than three months, um, this wasn't statistically significant. So uh, we kind of have to look at this because importantly, um, the studies that did look at long-term follow-up, they had exercise as the comparison. So it doesn't necessarily mean that manual therapy didn't have an improvement, but they didn't improve more than the exercise group. Um, so for example, um, Abbott published a paper in 2013 um, that compared manual therapy and usual care to exercise plus usual care um, for knee osteoarthritis and the exercise group improved more than the manual therapy group but in their follow-up 2015 study they found manual therapy plus exercise was slightly better than exercise alone so it it gets it gets a Oh, as most things and you look at them in more detail um, and you're looking at clinical things we don't generally just do one thing alone yes. um, you know we combine manual therapy with other things commonly yep. in pri private practice so whether that's massage that's um, exercises um, that's you know, range of adjunctive therapies and advice um, and reassurance it's very rarely is it just manual therapy on its own and so we're still we're still looking and discovering um, what this is, but it it looks like there is um, 
there's definitely benefit um, to doing it. And we were interested, I was really interested to see if we found similar to what Alex Rue found that it was associated with reduced pain, but that wasn't very evident that that was the case. Okay. So we're looking at the manual therapy, um, the, the benefits of manual therapy are beyond just pain control, um, which, you know, we would see as chiropractors is that somebody's physical function and, and improvements in how they walk and move is can be associated with pain, but it's not necessarily just relieving the pain that is improving those things. It's, it's a bit more complicated than that. And, and that's really interesting. You would hope, obviously, someone who's seeing you for a, a number of comorbidities might improve in all those levels, but uh, very interesting that they can improve in their balance without necessarily improving in their pain, that those two aren't directly related, as you said. Not directly related, um, but this makes sense. And it and it means that we importantly need to measure all of yes. these things in private practice um, and use good quality uh, outcome measures to measure these things. Yep. Um, yeah. And maybe just because we did, well, I know we've mentioned it, but, but just can you say again, those key simple outcome measures that you talked about uh, earlier, just to remind listeners of what they can start implementing in practice? Yeah, um, so measuring someone's usual gait speed. Um, so they usually ask them to walk at their usual pace and measure how quickly they can walk. And you can measure this in meters per second. So you can use a stopwatch and um, timed up and go is the good one. So how long it takes for someone to stand up from a chair, walk at their usual pace, two meters, turn around to come back and sit back down, sit to stand. So how many times, uh, how long it takes them to sit and stand five times from a chair. Yeah. Um, step test. Another one is the four square step test. Um, so you need a, a few little bits of you know, four kind of walking canes. That one takes a little bit more setup, um, but that's a good one as well. Okay, very good. So um, you mentioned obviously exercise and made the point that we're not just limited to manual therapy, that as best practice chiropractors think about other things and other ways to help people with their balance. Apart from exercise, and I'm assuming it was, uh, is it just general exercise or is it specific balance exercise, eye exercises? What, what sort of exercise tends to help the best? And are there any other things that chiropractors should be suggesting as far as advice to patients here? Oh, do you, do you want another um, hours and hours to discuss uh, okay. this? Anthony, you've opened up the Pandora's box. Which exercise is best? All right, um, okay. Another so, podcast um, perhaps for the I, detailed explanation. I'm, Absolutely, the other podcast, but I, I think that the, there's the long, the short answer and the long answer. Um, and the short answer is that the research tells us that the best exercise for someone to do is the exercise that they do. Yes. So, what they're, you know, where, you know, if that's Pilates, if that is a structured sort of, um, you know, Liebenson style strengthening rehab program, um, if that is playing golf on the weekends, if that is CrossFit, um, it, the, the best exercise is, is the exercise that, um, that someone yeah. will participate in. Um, that's the short answer, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there's some longer answers than that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what we looked at in this systematic review, um, exercise is absolutely a, a great recommendation and I absolutely advocate for um, giving exercise advice um, for your patients, particularly your older patients. Um, many of the studies, the comparison intervention was exercise and in head-to-head -head comparisons, the exercise groups did perform better than the manual therapy groups in the long term. Um, and this is just generally true 
of the, the wider research comparing exercise to manual therapy for most chronic musculoskeletal pain outcomes. Um, but I don't know about you, Anthony, but I didn't exactly have a 100% success rate um, improving exercise adherence in my patients. Mm. Um, so we do need to look at the role of manual therapy with exercise. And perhaps, you know, in the future, I would be really interested in looking at stratifying patients um, to receiving manual therapy. So I'm curious to know that does a, does a course of manual therapy um, improve someone's ability to exercise and then undertake um, a yes. more structured exercise program, whatever that looks like for them. Um, or, you know, I or, or is, you know, a course of manual therapy good for patients who perhaps are plateauing um, or getting back on track. Um, they, they, I think there's a role I know definitely clinically, like, you know, my experience as a chiropractor in private practice, there's a role for passive therapies, um, but we, we cannot, um, we cannot deny that exercise is probably fundamentally the best health and well-being thing that we can do. It's mm. amazing for a range of, it's good for mental health, it's good for physical health, it's, exercise is, is brilliant for us, um, and is, you know, if there's a single inter, inter Thing that we can do to help improve our health and well-being it's probably exercising more um but yeah i'm really interested to to see where passive care um plays in with exercise yeah i think and i think that's a really important point i've often sort of thought about this uh you, you know adjusting the spine manual therapies there's the impact that that may have directly on the nervous system both at sort of a segmental and a super segmental level but also just the effect that that has on um, someone's mood and their motivation and their ability and being reduced in pain, their capacity to do stuff that then has that positive effect flow on. So, uh, so yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah. But bottom line, no matter which way you look at it, you know, both are very, very important. Yeah, definitely. And, and tracking and measuring these outcomes is really important too. So, sure. you know, looking at how much exercise someone is doing um, and then tracking how much exercise they're now able to achieve after, you know, having a month, two months of chiropractic care, I think is important. Very good. Now, in summing up, what do you think we've learned from your systematic review and, and where to from here? Uh, yeah. So again, you can really easily measure these physical function tests. So you gate speed and or a timed up and go. Um, they take only a few minutes to perform, just need a few meters of hallway, a chair and a stopwatch. Um, and using your physical function outcome measures as well as your pain outcome measures is really important. We should be measuring all aspects of our patient's health and well-being outcomes um, and trying to measure them in an objective way where we can. Um, staying moving, staying active, staying independent is really vital for older adults, for all, people of all ages really. Um, and so making sure that we are finding out if somebody has these issues um, and and working on sustaining um, somebody's you know, vitality as they, as they get older. Julie, I think this is a great study. It's been so much uh, fun chatting to you uh, this morning. You're always uh, such a bubble of energy. So uh, you're, you're great, to, <laughs> great to have around. And I think you've been um, fantastic in explaining the complex in a really simple and easy, easily digestible way. So Thank you for your time. Thank you for your commitment to, to, to research. And uh, we're certainly very proud to have you as a, an ACA-sponsored PhD. 
Thank you very much, Anthony. It's It's been my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to kind of going the next step now that I've, I've finished my PhD and I've finished my maternity leave and getting back on track. It's interesting times for all of us at the moment, but um, you watch this space research takes time. Um, but yeah, it is, it's been an exciting journey and I'm just so proud to be supported by the members and, and it's just so exciting to be starting to publish things and, and, and reaching you know, back um, to the members and showing um, what we're doing. Well, that's absolutely awesome. So the, uh, for, for all listeners, the, um, the actual study is there for you to have a look at as well. So we certainly encourage you to do that. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. And I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. I look forward to chatting you, with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm-hmm.